0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fred. Take a seat. Welcome to Kabbalah and Coffee. Uh, this is a <laughs> all the way out there. Um, this is our weekly journey into Kabbalah and coffee. <coughs> Not much of a journey into the coffee; we just drink the coffee. Uh, let's uh, to sugar, right? Possibly. Let's uh, let's pass out the handouts. Please take and pass. Please take and pass. Thank you. Alright, Kabbalah and Coffee, we are on page number 36. I think we're on page 36. Yeah, that looks right. Page 36, bottom paragraph, we're going to pick it up soon. But first, let's begin like this. What is the most fundamental contribution of Judaism? What would you say? Give me some contributions of Judaism. Bagels, oh, that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily not true. Monotheism, good, good, give me something else. Law. Law, okay, I like that. The movie industry. Mm. <laughs> that's true, a lot of industries, movie industry, Hollywood. What else, what else? Most.
1: The idea of progress.
0: Okay, good. Pro- progress, the world's getting better, we can get better sciences. Okay, good. Okay. Torah. Architecture. Architecture. Huh? What else? What else? Survival. Survival. Good. That's uh, like the Jew and the Lotus, right? That book?
1: Human rights.
0: Human rights. Mitzvot. Torah. Mitzvot. Good okay. food. A lot, of, a lot of food. And the mysticism. The mysticism. Okay, good. Kabbalah. Which is, uh, I guess, apropos in the setting. Good. What I want to share, and it's not necessarily unlike a lot of the answers that we're given, is a very simple idea. Good morning. The very simple idea of Judaism's contribution to the world is that God is the master of the world. How innovative does that sound? Innovative or not so innovative? Monotheism, right? It sounds like monotheism. But there's a little bit more than monotheism, a little bit more than meets the eye. The Midrash says something fascinating, and I forgot to put it in the handout. I have something else in the handout. The Midrash says that Abraham, when Abraham came around, so the Midrash uses an analogy. It says that there's a person walking down a road, in a city, in a town, and he sees a palace on fire. He sees a palace burning. Beautiful palace and it's engulfed in flames. And the man wonders out loud, is this abandoned? Is there not an owner to this palace? And the owner of the palace steps in front of him and says, I am the owner of the palace. So the same thing is true with Abraham, the measure says. Abraham saw the world burning and he thought to himself is there not a master of the universe is there not a master of the world and God said I am the master of the world and so ends the Midrash can anybody try to explain what that means what does that that mean for you somebody had to ask the question but what question is he asking But there's more than that. What's with the burning? Does anybody care? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? What's my responsibility? Okay, good. What's my responsibility? What else? What does it mean that he sees it burning? What does that mean? What does that mean that he sees the palace, he sees the world burning on fire? Huh?
2: <laughs>
0: he sees the world. Yeah, it's burning. It's it's burning. It's being destroyed. It's being destroyed. Right? There's this tremendous pain and suffering and, and, and uh, negativity and brutality and th- thievery and murder, right? All the bad stuff that happens, right? Everything that's on the, uh, the 11 o'clock news, right? They still do an 11 o'clock news? Or they do 10 o'clock? When I was a kid, they did 11 o'clock and 6 o'clock. Now they do 5 o'clock and 10 o'clock. Oh, now they do 24-7. Okay, so I haven't been, I haven't been lately following the news. Good. So, if you want to hear about the world burning, just turn on the news. You hear the world burning. And the obvious question is, as Abraham asks, is there anybody in charge here? Is anybody home? home? (laughs) Right? Hello? Is there anybody? You see, a a beautiful palace burning, and no one's doing anything. No one's doing a thing. Everyone's just watching it burn. And Abraham asks the question, says, is there anybody in charge? Does this belong to anybody? And the owner, God, and says, yeah, it's my world. I am the master of the world. What does that mean? What's the answer? What does the answer mean? What does it mean, your master? What does that mean? So I'm asking, what's the answer? What does the answer mean? Is there is
2: somebody who's in charge.
0: There is, there is a force in charge of Is it? Well, I don't know.
2: It's my world. It's my palace. If it's burning, it's my decision that it be burning.
0: Okay, I know. I hear that. I hear that. Give me something else. control. But it's burning.
2: Well, what are you going to do about it? Which? your pose?
0: In other words, right. In other words, exactly. Stop. Stop kvetching about it. Stop asking about it. There is a master. Now go do something about it. Why? Because that's what I want you to do. So here we have the beautiful duality of Judaism. Number one, it's God's world. Number two is, we are empowered to do something about it. To make a difference in the world. Here we have the two, what seem to be two conflicting energies. God's ownership and our responsibility. And it seems mutually exclusive. And I must tell you that every society, every faith, every religion, every theology, every philosophy has struggled over this duality. How to reconcile God's sovereignty, so to speak, God's ownership and our responsibility. Because it seems like it's either or. Either we tell a person, pray to God and put your trust in God and that's it. Or we say, forget about God, do something about it. Judaism says both. Pray to God and do something about it. Pray to God while you're putting... Exactly. Put out the fire. It's like they tell the story.
2: Pray as if everything
1: depends on God and act as if everything depends on
0: God. That's exactly what it is. That's the powerful... And I just got the, the chills. That's a powerful duality. That's the And that is Judaism. That is the powerful... Statement of Judaism. It's like the guy...
1: We say it again.
0: It's... to. Well you say it again.
1: stitched on my talib. Pray as if everything depends on God. And act as if everything depends on you.
0: In other words, the belief that God runs the world at the same time the knowledge that God wants you to make a difference in the world.
1: I thought it was um, bringing heaven down to earth.
0: Hmm. This is the same concept. It's the same concept. In other words, it's the same idea. Bridging heaven and earth is the same idea. What it's saying is, God is in control, ultimately. At the same time, God wants us to do something as well, to do our part, to, to channel that in. In other words, it's us doing and God working through what we're doing. It's basically the same idea of, of heaven and earth co- conversion. I just want to tell one story. One story that, that I think it's a humorous story, it's not a real story, but it's a concept. There's a guy that uh, that needs money. So he prays, Please God, let me win the lottery. Please God, let me win the lottery. At, month after month after month, he doesn't win the lottery. Finally, one day he says, God, I asked you to, that I should win the lottery. How come you haven't given... Huh? So the voice comes out from heaven, Silly, you, you gotta buy a ticket. Right? You wanna win the lottery? Fine, you gotta buy a ticket. So life is about buying tickets, right? This is not a uh, this this class has not been sponsored by the Georgia Lottery. But the point is that in life you got to buy your ticket. You got to invest yourself. You got to you got to pick up the hose, you got to turn on the water, and you got to put out the fire. And then God says, "Thank you." This is the partnership that it's all about. That 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 we're all about. God says, I am the master of the world. I am, the master. I, I am in control of the world. But I want you to do your part in healing the world as well. This is the great contribution of Judaism. What this tells us is something profound. Because if it's either or, let's understand that there's a disconnect between heaven and earth. This is a very important point. If it's either or, if it's either extreme, then there's a disconnect. God is well, I don't know, it doesn't really work that way. If we're let's let's do it the other way first. If we're totally in control of the world, right, and everything that happens happens through us and forget about God, God is out of the picture, it's us, prayer, what's prayer, what's prayer gonna help? It's all about us? Of course we're cutting out God from the picture. And if God I don't know if this works this way, if God is totally in control of everything without us, what's the flaw there? the flaw is it's not working through us it's not working through us it's still somewhat of a flaw Judaism has the perfect balance between heaven and earth between what God does and what we do so this is the deeper import of the of the Midrash and the answer that God gives to Abraham yes the palace is burning and yes there's a master of the universe, yes there's, a, there's an owner of the palace and yes if you notice the palace burning you might want to put it out, and that's what Abraham does. And Abraham starts putting out the fires in this world and begins, uh, in his own way, illuminating a fire, illuminating a light of monotheism, of this belief in this, uh, in, this in this in this duality of God and God empowering of the human being. And in doing so, he begins to heal the world, and this is what Judaism is all about. Now. This is really a springboard to understanding some of the fundamental uh, teachings of Judaism. And and what happens is like this. When When you're able to identify the core of something, this is something we talked about in the first class. When you identify the core and the essence of something, inevitably, the results, you understand, you get a different picture about the results that follow. Right? We spoke about this in the first class. When you, when you understand, when you look at things from the outside in, so you see a lot of outs, you see a lot of external things. And a lot of it doesn't make sense. You see a lot of disconnected ideas. This idea, that idea, the other idea. When you understand the core of something, so then all of the disconnected external manifestations kind of can come together. So when you have certain fundamental truths... When you understand the tr- the truths, the essence behind something, then in Torah, then a lot of verses that seem disconnected or stories that seem disconnected, they all come together. They're all saying the same thing. I, I want to pass this out. Okay, this is these are verses. I have three pages of verses that I collected last night from the story of the Exodus. As you'll see, they're all connected. Pass these Can out. I ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Um,
2: so. Is is the idea to 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 um, delve into all the disconnected things and then the core becomes revealed to study the all you know what I'm saying and to find the interconnectedness or is there
0: or do you go first to the core and then do you stu- it's a very good question so the reality is the answer is both you study the surface and you study the depth that's why Torah is taught on four different levels. Pshat, Remesh, Drush, and Sod. The simple, the allegorical, the homiletical, these are words that I don't know, we're not necessarily familiar with in English even, but so, and then the mystical. So we study Torah simultaneously and for, we're supposed to, we have to study Torah. We start studying Torah as children on a simple level, because our minds are not ready to grasp something deeper. And to, to be able to hold two different realities at the same time. We have very difficult, it's, it's very difficult to understand a story about, about Abraham and a mystical story about Abraham, a simple story and a mystical story at the same time and not feel like it's contradictory. Like, well, which one is it? So as we get older, we're able to kind of hold two opposites or what seem like opposites, or two different things, two different levels, dimensions, worlds, and not be so disturbed by the fact that they're not saying the same thing. So the answer is, as we get older, we, we're meant to study them both at the same time. Study the surface, study the depth, study the essence. At the same time, and you see how it works together. So, let's look at the story of the Exodus from new eyes. What I did was, I went through the entire story of the Exodus. From the beginning, from God's first communication to Moses at the burning bush. Where God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh in my name. Let my people go so that, may, so that they may serve me on the mountain, etc. From the beginning until... After the splitting of the sea and the drowning of the Egyptians. So the entire story of the Exodus. From the first moment of the beginning of, this, of the redemption, the Exodus, to the final, you know, the curtain call on the Egyptians. And I, what I did was I lifted every mention of what? Of what? Not the plagues. Of the purpose of the plagues. Every time that God says, what is the point? This is every mention. Not what's going to happen. Not, if you don't listen, then blood, frogs. If you don't listen, then this, then you'll be struck again. That's plague. Why, though? If you don't listen, then I'm going to hate you. Why? Every time God gives a reason, this is it. So let's read them. David, take it away. Alright? You will know God. That's the answer, by the way. But, uh, But let's... And what I did also is every mention of God, I wrote in parentheses, is it... I wrote which name of God it is. Okay, so take it away. So it I want you to read it. Uh, no, no, you can read it as God. That's fine.
3: God said to Moses, "Now you will see that I will do to Pharaoh. For with what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a mighty hand he will send them out, and with a mighty hand he will drive them out out of his land." Okay, so this is the
0: first one where God is speaking to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses says, "Nah, you find somebody else." And I don't want to do it. I can't. I'm not such a good public speaker. I don't know. What about. Why don't you just send Mashiach? Right? He goes to Shlachla the final one. So I don't know. Moses is like the reluctant, uh, reluctant hero, right? The uh, famous uh, literary, uh, but, 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 but great works copy. The reluctant hero. So God says finally to Mo- So after Moses finally acquiesces, he says, okay. So he says, now you will see what I'll do to Pharaoh. With a mighty hand, he will send them out. With a mighty hand, he will drive them out of his land. Why did I quote this one? It's not really what, it's not really the purpose, but it also foreshadows the entire experience. What is he saying? You will see what I will do to Pharaoh. What does that mean? Look at the duality here. Who's sending him out? Who is, uh, I'll, let me ask you a question on, on this, on, I'll ask a question on this verse. Okay? Simply. Who sends the Jewish people out of Egypt? What's the answer? Based on this? Based on this verse? Based on the verse? Who sends the Jewish people out of Egypt? Based on this verse, who sends the Jewish people out of Egypt? Based on this verse? Huh? What's the answer? Both. Both. Look what it says. Now you'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. He will send them out. Who's doing it? Is it Pharaoh sending them out? Or am I causing Pharaoh to send them out? Pharaoh is God's instrument. That's, what, that's exactly what's happening. Or, in a sense, God is, is going to be working through Pharaoh, in a sense. Even through Pharaoh. In other words, Pharaoh will ultimately get the fact that he is an instrument, in a sense. And that he has no other choice but to fulfill the will of God. So it's really God and Pharaoh working. Right? little tag team action here. Right? Look what's happening. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a mighty hand, he will send them out. Why will he send them out? Because I'm doing this to him. Good. That's the opening. You see the rest of them are more along the lines of the intro, of, of the way I set up the text. Alright. Um, Fred, did you get a copy? We gotta hook up Fred with a copy. You gotta... Co- <laughs> of this This handout. I can't,
1: I can't because I didn't fill out the form for uh, the oh, okay. oh, don't be silly.
0: Ah, I didn't either. They still let me here. All right, continue. Huh?
1: Is there a, like a literal translation of Havaya?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Havaya is, okay, so depending on how you want it, there's different, okay, it's a good question. The question is, Havaya is God's name. It's, it's re, um, the letters are re, are, are, are put in a different order. It's the Yudke Vavke. And by K I mean Hey. It's the Tetragrammaton. It's the it's the holiest name of God in Scripture. It's the one that you don't even even when you're reading from the Torah you don't pronounce it the way it's written. You don't pronounce you say Ado, and then you say Noi. You say Hashem. You say you basically when you read the Torah when you you, you or when you say blessings etc. You don't recite although it's not therefore you don't re, you don't even pronounce the name the way it's written. It's such a such a holy name. So what does the name mean though? So, so in Kabbalah, so if you want to refer to the name, because Kabbalah gets into the different names of God, so you just restructure the name, you reorder the name, you put the hey instead of the yud, followed by hey, followed by vav, followed by hey, you do hey, vav, yud, and then you leave off the last, uh, the last hey. So it's havaya. Fine, havaya. So it's, but what does it mean? So it says, so there are different meanings of the name. Number one, on a simple level. First of all, havaya is a contraction of haya, hove, V'yiyah which means past, present, and future. So what it is, is it represents the name of God. Mark, did you get a copy? Do we have extra copies? Yeah, if, it's got, if, if we could pass around the extra copies, Jen, send them around. Thanks. Um, good morning. Good to see you. So it's a contraction of Haya hovevi a past, present, and future as one. Which it, what, what it, And what does that mean? Maritza, let me take one copy. What it means is, it's the power of God that transcends time and space, and all of created reality. In other words, it's the energy, it's the power of God that is completely beyond nature, creation, everything that we know and love. Everything that's involved in creation. In Kabbalah, it's referred to as the entire Seidim Heshtashah. Not only our reality. Our reality, physical reality, is, as Kabbalah explains, at the bottom of an entire mechanism of creation, a factory that pumps out, boom, the final product is our world. We come off the assembly line, boom. The entire process, the entire assembly line, is part of creation, because it's all about creation. Havaya is the divine name, is God as beyond the entire system of creation, beyond the assembly line, beyond the entire Seder, shashot chain and order of evolution of creation. Also, Havaya means creator in a sense. But Creator, that's beyond, Haviyah, via is also creation, or Creator. But it's beyond creation. It's unde, The undefinable. The undefinable that you can't even box in by calling Creator. Because Creator means that that's what you are, you're a Creator. In other words, and this is true with any description, with any description, as soon as you describe something, you're boxing it in. You're saying it's this and not something else. Right? Even if you give ten different descriptions, it's these ten and not something else. How do I know? Because you only told me these ten. So if we call God creator, it means, well, God's creator. What what else is God? God's not not creator. Right? God. It's almost like God has to create because He's the creator. What else is He going to do? If, if you're the creator, you're going to create. But God is beyond creation. God doesn't have to create. Even as He creates, He doesn't have to create. Huh?
1: Beyond Hashem.
0: Well, no, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Hashem as Creator. Oh, so my point is like this: that Havaya also means Creator, but in a non-creative sense, uh, non-creator sense. In other words, in other words, it's past, present, future, huh? It's being. Right. It's like, it's you cre... know, in the beginning, Elohim creates. So Bara, right, creation is associated with the lower name of God, Alukim. Havaya is the source of creation, but not limited to creating. In other words, the creative source is Havaya, is the essence of God. Now, in general, when I say essence of God, in general, sorry, when you get very specific, even Havaya is not the essence. Anochi, I, is the essence, or you are the essence. When we talk about you or I... Without names, any name is not the essence. But in more general sense, when, when comparing names relative to names, Havaya is the most essential name. So of the names, Havaya refers to the essence. If you split more hairs, you realize oh, that's also not the essence. The essence is higher than any names. But that's, that's another discussion. The point is Havaya is creator that's, beyond, that's not pegged as creator. It's the source of the creative power. But it's beyond creation. It's not limited to creation. Can Okay, so all you have to know is simply like this. No, 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 okay, good. All you have to know is simply this. There are two na- there are two names, primary names, that the Torah uses in describing God. God, right? Two names are Hashem, or Havaya, and Elohim. These are the two names. Elohim, Elokeinu, etc. Hashem, when we say Bracha, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu, Melech Olam. So we say both names, Hashem. Yes,
1: but you're saying that he
0: Uh, so, Havaya is the source of creation, in other words, the energy. The infinite energy that's required to create something finite. The infinite energy that's, rec- that's required to create something physical. right? The infinite is also being, in a sense, well, infinite is kind of non-describable. But the, the, the fact that God can create something physical and finite is because God is not limited to anything. God is beyond all limitations and descriptions. That is captured by the name Hashem. By the name Havaya. That's, that's what Havaya means. On, a, on the deepest sense. Havaya is the miracle that's beyond nature. Havaya is the impossible. Havaya is creation. Havaya is everything. Creation, the way it comes out in a very, in a, in a real sense, is filtered through the name Elokim. Okay, this is, look, let, we can talk about this right now, I was planning to talk about it later in the class, but let's talk about it right now. Elokim... And this is a topic we've also discussed in previous classes, but it's important to mention this right now because this is the discussion we're getting into. Elohim is the name of God that's associated with actualizing creation. Not the potential power of creation, but actualizing creation. I'm going to give you an example before, before I get into this. Kabbalistically, to, let's step back. Talk about a teacher. Talk about a teacher. A teacher is teaching a lesson, right? Teaching a class. This is going to be a non-precise example, but just bear with me. The essence of the teacher's knowledge is different than what the teacher is actually transmitting to the students, right? How would you, or instead of me presenting that, how would you describe the difference between what the teacher knows and the process of actually teaching and transmitting to a student? Anybody, yeah. The teacher is translating so that
2: the students understand ultimately. What the message
0: is. Give me more than translating. Give me more so than, than trans- on a level that they can understand. So the right. So one thing is translating it, but I would say, and, and I think this is what you meant as well, that it's more. It's even more than just translating it. It's there's a lot of information that's not going to get at all transmitted here. A lot of it, you ha- you have to block out a lot of stuff. You have to shield out. You have to block out a lot of information that's going to overwhelm the student, right? You gotta, you're only going to let a limited amount of information out there because if it's everything, it's like, what are you talking about, right? If if you put out the whole situation the way the teacher understands it, right? You take the entire block of information and say, here it is. The student says, what are you talking about? I don't I have no idea. What you're about. You need Elohim. Elohim is the power of. Tzimtzum, Elohim is the power of contracting information, of, of, of minimizing information, of blocking out, shielding out the vast majority of the information, and only allowing a limited amount, and even that limited amount of information, speaking it, transmitting it, teaching it on a level with the words, with the examples that the student can understand. Like a lesson plan. Like a lesson plan, right. So the entire, the totality of the information or the knowledge of the teacher is... In a sense, beyond definition or beyond, it's beyond this definition of the lesson plan, and then the lesson plan, so in the process of but you can't create the lesson plan if you didn't have the information. You know, so where does the lesson plan come from the source of the knowledge of, within the teacher, But the actual teaching is processed through the filter in the lesson plan. Does it make sense? So you have both powers working in creation. The student receives directly from which part, which energy, the big energy or the small energy? Which, where does the student get from? the smaller energy. That's why we say, where does creation come from? Barash is bara, Elohim. Creation comes from Elohim. Where's the real source of creation? Of course it comes from Hashem. Of course it comes from Avaya. Of course it comes from the, the infinite power, the, the power that has that the ability to create. The lesson plan doesn't have the ability to teach. It's because you have all the information that you can then make a lesson plan from that information. Without the information, what would, what would be the lesson plan? If you just contract nothing, you're not gonna get anything. You gotta start with... So I, that's a, it's a crude example but it's somewhat of a, a way to put uh, to put hands and feet on it, so to speak. If that makes any sense. Anyway, so, that's, so Hashem and So Hashem is the infinite power, the power that's beyond creation, the power that's beyond the entire uh, mechanism of, of, of our reality, past, present, and future as one. So that's, that's what God is. That's what Havaya is. Okay, And God says, look, and again, here's the point. God says, don't think that I am... This is going to be the point. Don't think that I am disconnected from your reality, right? Because you would think, well, this Havaya has nothing to do with creation. This is actually the whole point of today, right here. This is happening right now. The whole point is to understand that what God wants with this is to, is to know that Havaya is not disconnected from the world. Because when, again, the student thinks, oh, what am I getting? Only the lesson plan, right? Only Elohim we think that, where does creation come from? Elohim. I have no connection with Haviah. Uh, with but God is saying here, you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to let the Jewish people go, why? Because of me. Because of Haviah. All right. Continue with the next uh, with the next text, please. Therefore,
3: therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am God, and I will take you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will save you from their labor, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me as a people, and I will be a God to you, and you will know that I am God, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens
0: of the Egyptians. Look at this. Look at this. You see what happened here? Look at the Haviah and Elokim's. Right, we need to break this text down. Hold on, hold on. we got to slow it down. we got to slow it down. This is, huh? Take a breath. No, no, no. We, we really have to slow this down. Look look what's happening here. This is before any plagues. This is Exodus 6, 6 7. Okay, look what's happening here. Again, this is before the plagues. God is speaking to Moses and says, Tell the Jewish people. Now, we have to step back another second. Hold on. What were the plagues for? Were they for the Egyptians or for the Jews? Have you ever thought of that question? you would automatically think that who are the plagues for? The Egyptians. Egyptians. There is as much of an education that needs to happen for the Jews as the Egyptians. In fact, and you'll see it over here, half of the point, half the point, both, there are two points, a major point of the Exodus and the plagues is not only to educate or re-educate the Egyptians, but it's also to educate the Jewish people. Look what he says. Therefore say to the Jewish people, children of Israel, I am God. In other words, know that there is a God that transcends nature. Know that there's something beyond the here and now, beyond the, 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 the regular reality that you see. And I will take you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Look at that. Not because of a natural you know, phenomenon, a natural force. I, Havaya, am going to intercede on your behalf. In other words, you might think, and the Egyptians think, that Havaya God? God as a transcendent God, God beyond creation, has nothing to do with creation. What does God have to do with creation? Nature. Elohim is part of creation. What does God what does Havai have to do with creation? So God is saying, I, Havaya, ta- I will take you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will save you from the labor, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to me as a people, and I will be a God Elohim to you. Look at that. I, Havaiah, will be your Elohim. You see that? What does that mean? He says, I will be a God Elohim. Again, forget God. Hashem says, Havaya will be your Elohim. What does that mean?
1: I'll manifest to you as Elohim.
0: In other words, your Elohim, what is your Elohim? Everyone Everyone else says, what is their nature disconnected from God? Mother nature has nothing to do with God. There's nature and then there's God. And they're two different things. And God is not involved in nature. And nature doesn't have anything to do with God. In other words, and you, for the children of Israel, the Jewish people will know because of the Egyptian exodus, because of everything that happens, you will know that I am Elohim. I am your Elohim. Your force, your everyday. In other words, when everyone else takes a seed, the Talmud says, the Talmud says this, when everyone else takes a seed, that every other nation on earth takes a seed, puts it in the ground. Right? Plows, puts a seed in the ground, waters it, and it grows. What do they say? They say, that's the way it's supposed to be. When a Jew does it, a Jew prays. A Jew takes the seed, puts it in the ground, and then davids. Knowing that nature is no different than God. God is nature, nature is God. It's the same thing. And so you want it to grow? It doesn't naturally grow. There's no nature. It's all God it's God happening on a consistent basis, or God performing something on a consistent basis, so it seems like maybe it has its own energy. It doesn't have its own energy. It's still a divine act. Growth is a miracle. The fact that you take a seed, you put it in the ground, the seed rots and disintegrates, and then it grows into something, makes no sense. Go figure it out. Makes no sense. Oh, no, 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 that's the nature, that's how it works. Why? Because that's nature. Why? You know what it says in, in Tanya? that nature is a word that we use when we have no idea to explain how it works? That's what it says. What is nature? Nature, Teva. It says, what does Teva mean? What does Teva, what does nature mean? Teva, the sandals. You know the sandals? Yes. It's called Teva because in Hebrew, Teva means nature and they're na- nature are sandals. Alright, Teva, it's true. Teva says, what is Teva? Teva is something that you, that you use. It's a word. Nature is something that you use. The word nature, Teva, in, in Hebrew, is something that you use when you can't explain something. So you say, well, why... Oh, that—that's the nature of something. We figured out science. We figured out that the nature of this, when you combine this with that, the nature is because this, because uh, the nature is volatile, and this nature is, and this, uh, and this enzyme and, and and chemical. The natural reaction of it is to do that. Why? Because that's the na- that's the nature. Why? Because the nature. As soon as you say that's the nature of something, what you're saying is you can't explain it. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, because if you could explain it, you would explain Once you go, once you pull out the nature card, say, oh, that's the nature. You pull out the nature card, what that means is you can't explain it. And what that means in Judaism is, well, there's God. Well, God was here all along, but now maybe maybe you'll, maybe you'll recognize it, or maybe you won't. But that's, that's the choice that we have. The point is, God is saying, what's the Exodus about? So that you know, you, the Jewish people, the Egyptians will get schooled also. But you also need to get schooled. And the schooling is, you, you need to know, as a people, you, the children of Israel need to know that I am your nature. All the nature, right? When that grass grows, when you plant something and it grows, nature, that's me. I want you to know that. And how are you going to know that? I'm going to take you out of Egypt.
3: And, and in that way, he's physically... Intervening,
0: yes, in in nature.
3: In nature, ordinarily we think of nature as just having its own flow. That's the entire point
0: of the, and that's what I'm saying. The power of this is throughout the account of the Exodus. You see, there's only one point. There's one point. I intervene constantly in the world, or not intervene. It is me. I'm always pulling the strings. You don't see it always. Hello, I'm right here. This is me. I'm, I'll, and I'll show it to you now. I am taking you out of Egypt. This is me. And even when I'm not pulling you out of Egypt and doing a miracle, it's also me. So,
2: how much... So the Jews were, it, were um, living in Egypt for a couple hundred years?
0: 210 years. Okay,
2: so how much of Torah is devoted? That's a long time. So what... Is there a lot of Torah devoted to what went on during that... <laughs> during that?
0: No. No, No, the Torah cuts out the whole whole piece. Isn't
2: that interesting?
0: It's not relevant. Torah tells us a little bit about what went on. Torah tells us what happened at the beginning. Anti-Semitism, what happened. Pharaoh said, "Uh uh-oh, getting too numerous. Uh Uh-oh, what happens when uh, there'll be a war, they're going to join the other side, and they're going to root us out from inside. The paranoia... Jews are gonna get us, right? They're after us. They're gonna overthrow us, huh? Something like that, yeah. They're gonna get, and so they, so uh, we gotta get rid of them before they get rid of us. Okay. But two hundred years. So from from the, the, the demise, from the passing of, I think two hundred and ten years actually from when they from when Yaakov's family came down to Egypt. But basically, none of the slavery. No, maybe two hundred ten years of slavery. I gotta take a look at the timeline again. Bit, hey, good morning. There's, the slavery didn't start until after the original generation passed away, after the 12 tribes, to the last of the 12 tribes passed away. I think it was Levi. So once the last of the 12 tri- the 12, not the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob passed away, that's when the new generation, that's when there was that slavery that began. It's an interesting story. It's a, it's a long time to, um, it's,
2: a no, it's two generations, right? Bigger? It's
0: probably more than that. Three? Uh, so more. Two hundred years, that's, that's what, really four hundred? How long is it? By old
3: generations. Oh, oh. Uh. In
1: other words, back class, I
0: guess. Oh, I
3: don't back,
0: know. I, th- I don't know. It's, it's I'm enough not sure. time, it not, you know, Enough I generations, think. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah, oh, you're saying why do they need to be educated? Absolutely. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah, that's, yes. hundred percent. The measure says, we quoted in, in last said uh, the, the JL class, these are idle words. By the by, the splitting of the sea, the angel said, "You're going to let these pass through, and you're going to kill these. These served the idols, and these served the idols. Why do you choose to save these over the? In other words, the Jews were serving idols, not the women. said that's what I'm to redeem the firstborn redemption. But the, there was idolatry amongst the Jewish people. In other words, the concept of and what is idolatry? What is idolatry? This disconnect between Hashem, Havaya, and the world. It's the here. I need to serve other things." I need to serve the sun, the moon, and the stars, or I need to serve the dollar, I need to serve whatever it is. I need to serve the stuff here, the nature, I need to serve the earth, I need to serve, right, whatever it is, the agriculture. I need to serve these things because God God is is out of the picture. That's exactly idolatry, and and the Jewish people were stuck there as well. And so God says, we need to educate. And the education is going to happen through this process. We bring ten plagues that demonstrate my. Power, my dominion, my control over what's happening on Earth. It's not just me separate from the world. I am, I am running the show. And even when it doesn't look like I'm running the show, I'm also running the show.
1: So, with all the suffering and all the with the slavery and the burden of the slavery, they, Jewish people had
0: to believe that maybe God wasn't there. so it had to be. Hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's like, where is God? Right. right. If God is here, well, where is it? I haven't seen him lately. Yeah. Is
1: there if
3: you, if you are a fully observant Jewish person, is it possible to worship Elohim and miss the point? What do you mean
0: by worship Elohim? In other words,
3: to worship the God as you see it in creation, but not get, like you come at the first level, second level, if you, if you got stuck at the first level...
0: Here's the deal. If you know...
3: God, you, you did it purely according to the literal reading of the Torah, but you never sort of transcended, you never got beneath that to the Hawaii where he says, I am Hawaii, you are Elohim, and you just worship your Elohim. Now, is here,
0: that here's the deal. If you believe, if you know that Elohim is Hashem,
3: but let's say then you're that. safe. But let's say if you didn't so what
0: possibly, do you think? So
3: it seems to me like you could theoretically, and I could even see it practically. So not, not, not a, if you're read,
0: not if you're reading Torah. Because if you're reading Torah again and again, you should know and place it at your heart. That God, that Hashem is Elokim. So it's you can't really do a do a reading of Torah or a studying of Torah and miss that. I
2: think if you live long. Life teaches you
0: that it has, a, has its way. The
3: point I'm trying to make is when you, when you talk about how, as a child, you start at that level. Right. You, know, you start literally at the Elohim level, in a way, right? Because you can't see that transcendent. But, as,
0: but even when you start there, my point is like this even when you start there, if a child says, um, you know, simply, simple, a child's simple faith and belief that God created this world, oh. forget about God, it is greater than. God didn't have to create, He's greater than creation. Forget all that philosophy stuff, the, the Kabbalah of it. But that God created this world, and that everything here is God, that's it. And it's it almost like the simpler the faith, the more accurate it is. You see what I mean? Yeah, in other words, believing true faith in Elohim is faith that Hashem is Elohim. It's disconnecting it and saying, well, Elohim is one God, a different God, and Hashem is a different God, that's when we get into trouble. But I, I think if you start with a... A, a, from a place of purity, you're not going to go there. Yeah. A more pure place is, well, God created the world. Like, it's simply, right? God created the world. Yeah. It's, not, it's not any more complicated than that. So everything...
3: Yeah, that's helpful. Thank
0: you. Don, sure. Mm-hmm. Donnie has it? Man? Okay. Who? Oh, Del, yeah. Uh, I, I, that whole thing sounds like a
1: dog and pony show to me that he has to put on the show for the Egyptians, and for the, uh, the Hebrew people, to convince them that they need to do something. Why? I mean, God is God. He's got all his power. Why not touch their hearts and their minds and make this happen without this violence? And
0: Hence the story to... of Abraham in the palace.
1: Well, he's doing it anyway. He's doing it in a physical form.
0: But he's doing it, but he's doing it in order to educate.
1: I see no reason they can't be educated... In their minds and their hearts.
0: To be educated, because then it takes no individual effort. In other words, the idea is that we look, we perceive what's going on in the world around us, we take it, we think about it, we take it to heart, and we change because of it. For God to transform us into beings that know the truth, would be to defeat the whole purpose of life. If we were miraculously transformed into beings that saw truth and knew truth, we would be, God has beings like that. They're called angels. So God doesn't need us to be angels. Perfect, you know, knowing everything, believing everything. God wants us to work it, right, to, to, to work it out on our own, in a sense.
1: The fact that they were worshipping idols yeah. would show that they were interested in trying to worship something or somebody to explain what was going on. Sure. They were in search of truth. Sure. So certainly would help if that truth would was coming to them to enlighten them. But no, this is not where I am. This is not what... So in a
0: sense, that's what the plagues are doing. In a sense, that's what the plagues are doing. The plagues are demonstrating God's... God's um, dominion, God's force, God's control, God's uh, reality on earth. That's the entire purpose of the of the, of the plagues. In a very in, physical way, also. In, in a, a way, very, very physical natural, way.
2: physical way. They're all the beasts die, the locusts, it's, it's
0: they're right. Now they're all, disaster. in a sense, they're all miraculous, but it's all happening on the ground. And it's all, and I will tell you that the, the measure tells us that four-fifths of the Jewish people did not go out of Egypt. Do you know that? Four-fifths, yeah, 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 it says four-fifths of the Jewish people did not want to leave Egypt. They did not want to leave. And in the plague of darkness, one of the reasons for the plague of darkness is so that when the Jews died, the Egyptians wouldn't see. Four-fifths of the Jewish people did not leave. They, were, they perished they in Egypt. Died. They died.
2: From the plagues?
0: They died, yeah, part of the plagues. They died during the plague of the firstborn. They didn't leave Egypt.
2: Because they
0: were just afraid of the change. Not afraid of, or unwilling to embrace?
2: So,
0: they, it says, that's what we tell the Russia. That's by the Seder. What do we say at the Seder? What do we say to the Russia, the wicked son? What do we say? Yeah, you dull his teeth. But after that, what do you say to him? At the seder, at the Passover seder, what do we tell the what do we tell the child? What do we tell the, the wicked son, okay, if you were because of what God did to me and no, you? no, that's the you say if you would have been there, you would not have been redeemed. What's the message there? What's the message there? What's the message there? There you wouldn't have been redeemed. The Rebbe explains it's a message of hope. You tell the rebellious son. Say, in Egypt, you wouldn't have had a chance. If you didn't want to go, if you didn't want to be on board, if you said that's for you guys, you would have been knocked out. But in the future redemption, it says, with Mashiach, it says, yidach no one will be left behind. So you say, Iyata, if you were there, you wouldn't have been redeemed. The positive message is, but now, come on board. And you, even if you, don't, if you don't want to come on board, you'll be brought on board anyway, it'll be good. Anyway, the point is, though, that four-fifths perished. Four-fifths didn't make it. So how many
2: is that about...
0: Well, we know that the Jews that left Egypt, there were six hundred thousand uh, men of military status between twenty and sixty, which puts the figure at about two million people. Two million dollars. No, two million that left. So you figure two million is one fifth. So that's it's uh, about ten million people. Yeah. Not to muddy the waters further. Okay.
1: But I
0: have
1: I have heard of. All the plagues could have been caused by natural phenomena. Okay. Volcanoes and algae blooms in the water, turn the water red, and then carbon monoxide arising from the algae. Saying so it could all be natural. And, and, that, and that perhaps uh, God was saying to the, to the Jews, you know, this is going to happen anyway. You need to leave, so it won't affect you, you know,
0: if you stay. You know, That's not I'll what God says in Torah, though. Now the fact that it could have been that it could have been executed through natural phenomena like volcanoes and winds and, and locusts, why not? Why not? But that's God. That's the point. So who's nature? If right, if you're re- watching the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, saying, "Oh, nature did it. Oh, so God wasn't involved," then again you're missing the whole point. That's the whole point, right? If you say to yourself, "Ah, I can explain it. There was a volcano. Oh, so it wasn't God." Evolved. that's the point, the point is God is working to, to do something on earth, no I'm with you and it could have been a volcano, and who cares Torah doesn't say how it happened Torah says that it happened, but Torah, God says you know who's making it happen, I'm making it happen maybe through a volcano, through a wind through a locust, through this, through that through a, whoever, who cares through a tsunami, it's going to happen but you should know this is me and I'm calling the shots I'm calling it like the babe <laughs> I'm calling it. You know, the call the home run? Uh, the famous call shot? All
2: these natural disasters are, 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 that go on today or are lessons
0: for t- us a- to learn. Now that's... Okay, now, now you're getting... Hit up. So what do we do about natural disasters today? All right, let's say that as a separate topic. Wait anyway, we got No, that's a very sensitive... we got to say that as another topic. Because when the Torah tells us something, then that's a lesson. When we say, well, there's a tsunami, what that means is I need to... That's another story, or because there's something over there in Haiti that means that there, that's a completely different picture, that's, and that's a dangerous place. Same. I'm saying we have to be careful with that. The Torah clip what we know is what God tells us, and that is, I'm bringing plagues on the Egyptians. How that happened? who knows? I'm bringing pla- I am bringing the plagues. You should know that it's me that's doing it, and through this you will know me. That's what he's saying. That's all he's saying. very simple.
1: Well, that's simple. Whatever he wants, but
0: it's always done in such a cruel and violent and to me, heartless way that you have to destroy. People. That's another story. Cruel and heartless. Okay, good. Can do it good. good. Way, you know? That's it's in a perfect world. I can't that and I can't that, you know? Now, okay, good. And it, look, it's a very good so Your question is why did the poor Egyptians have to suffer through plagues? And,
1: and the Jewish people, too. You said they were destroyed. But the Egyptians, I mean, my goodness, there's lots of other ways. That I can think of
0: with my finite mind. Right. So, this is a more elaborate discussion on the nature of how God operates and the concept of what the Egyptians were doing and how every plague is, Mida Kenegamida, is is, a, is a, um, a consequence that fits exactly what the Egyptians were doing to the Jewish people. And it's a, it's a, it's a much more elaborate discussion. So, let's hold off on this discussion. And it also touches on the nature of punishment and reward and all that good stuff. That's another discussion that's taking us too far off topic. Yeah?
2: So, when you say nature is a way for us to explain things
3: that we
1: don't understand why happened, right. then Mother Nature could be the tsunami, because you know how a tsunami is formed. You know where our hurricane comes from. Where do they come from? A tsunami from an earthquake from the
0: core of the earth. So what caused the earth went? You
2: just keep going and going.
0: Right, I was plan. just saying is we we know to a certain extent and then we say, well, okay, because the plate shifted. Why did the plate shift? Because that's their nature. Because the nature is that after a certain while, but at a certain point you hit a brick wall and you say, I don't know, that's just the way it is. Mother Nature is the unexplainable... No, Mother Nature is God. Same thing. That's the Jewish belief, is Mother Nature is, is the same thing as God. And the purpose of, of all of this is to, to, edu- to re educate ourselves, to recognize that Mother Nature is no different. There's no two, there are no two forces in, in, in life, in, in the world. It's, there are no two realities. One God means there's one God. That's it. This is pure monotheism. There's only one thing in where the control. Came
1: from,
0: oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I just... Oh, in Kabbalah, though, it makes sense. It, no, in, correct. In Kabbalah, as we'll see, it makes sense because Havaya, the more distant energy, in a sense, the more transcendent energy, is more of the masculine, and Elohim, which is more of the present energy, is more feminine. So there, there is a, there is a that does actually make sense. But the point is that Havaya is Elohim. So the, the masculine, feminine duality. It's part. It's two sides of the same coin. It's the same thing. Yeah.
2: So the purpose of Mother Nature is to show us that Hashem is
0: almost a Not necessarily to show us that Mother Nature is God. In other words, nature... I don't want to say Mother. Nature, whatever happens here, is God, God, God is doing it. God, it's, God is behind it. The purpose of the plagues, the purpose of the Exodus, was to educate us. The reason why we relive the Exodus. What are we doing every year on Passover? We have a Seder. We talk about this. What are we doing this for? Why? What's the point? It happened so many years ago. Like we got it. We're free. We get it. Mazel tov. We've had other tsuras since then. What's the point? The point is to live with this concept that God delivers, that it's all that God is real. That's the point of the answers. Yeah. That's the point of center. We're talking about science and how the sinner. They can even
1: explain scientifically how the ocean split.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's, oh, yeah. that's what I was saying. Well, what has man
1: created besides discovery? You know, even matter, we discovered. So it's the difference between creation and
0: discovery. Right, no, no, I'm with you. But, but I'm saying even, no, I'm with you, I understand. In other words, we, we can discover what was what God already created. No, I get that, but I'm saying even, even if, anyway, okay, good. <laughs> I'm just going to say something we said before. I think we're all on the same page. Okay, good, I hope so. Let's go. Let's keep on moving. Oh, so again, and you will know that I am God, Havaya, your God, Elohim. I am God, your God. I am Havaya, your Elohim, who has brought you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. In other words, you should know that it's, again, there's no, the nature, right? There's no nature here. It's only Havaya. Havaya is Elohim. Okay, good. Let's continue. David, take it away. I will
3: harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will increase my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not hearken to you, and I will lay my hand upon the Egyptians, and I will take my legions, my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt with great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am God when I stretch forth my hand over Egypt, and I will take the children of Israel out of
0: them. Ah, you see that? So the last sentence there is critical. The Egyptians shall know that I am God. So in the previous reading it was the children of Israel shall know that I am God. And again, know is different than believe, as we talked about before. What does it mean to know? Right to know means you know, you know it like you know something that's real. You know it like you know it, right? It's not something. I believe that God. I believe in God. Ah, you're gonna see. You're gonna witness this now. I'm saying that I'm gonna take you out of the land of Egypt. I'm, I say that the Nile's gonna turn into blood. It's gonna turn into blood, right? It's not natural for it to do so. So what's happening? This is me, and you should know this is me. When the Nile doesn't turn into blood, it's also me. And you're going to know this. You're going to get it. And every year you're going to relive it. And you're going to once again sear it into your, into your mind. You're going to once again recommit to this concept. That I am real. Yeah.
2: So he's saying this to Moses. Yes. So he's. why do you think it's necessary to lay it all out? From, sort of to give Moses the game plan before he does
0: it. Forget it. Moses or giving us that? the game plan. This is going to be the purpose of this. If the, purpose is, if the purpose is to take the Jewish people out of Egypt, could have happened in a split second. But that's not how education works. Education is a process. God could have miraculously airlifted the Jewish people out of Egypt without a bullet, without anything, without a, a shot being fired. Boom, the Jewish people find themselves in a very safe place instantly. could have happened. And no one gets educated. Nothing changes. The purpose was about education. That's
2: not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, why is
0: he... Why does he tell Moses why this? Why
2: is he saying what he's going to do as opposed to just doing it?
0: Because if you don't say what you're going to do, you're going to miss the point. In other words, if you don't know why this is happening, you're going to get so... Number one, they would, get, they would not know what's going on. In other words, the Jewish people are Moses. Why is this happening? They know why it's happening. We're being, this, is, this is going to be an education. And so that we know what happened. Otherwise, we think that the Egyptians, that the plagues were just to take the Jewish people out of Egypt. And then you can ask the question, why do you need plagues for? So without this, you would ask a question on the whole story. Game plan. We, we need to know the game plan to know why this happened. Okay, continue.
3: So said God, with this you will know that I am God. Behold, I will smite with the staff that is in my hand upon the water that is in the Nile...
0: So by the first plague, before the first plague, God says, what is the point of the plague? not to say not to punish Egypt so that you will know that I am God, right? So that you will know that I am God. And who is saying this? so said God? Moses is saying this to Pharaoh. In other words, you Pharaoh shall know that I am God. God says to God. Okay continue.
3: Uh, Moses said to Pharaoh give me a challenge when shall I entreat for you for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and from your houses that they shall remain only in the Nile he said tomorrow he Moses said as you say in order that you should know that there is none like God our God
0: so Moses said, after the plague of the frogs Moses says to Pharaoh so tell me you want the frogs gone when Pharaoh says tomorrow he says no problem so, that, why? So that you should know, in other words, it's not just, okay, the frogs will go away. It's you call it. You tell me when you want the frogs gone. You want it tomorrow? This time? Same time? 12 o'clock, high noon? Done. Why? So that you know that who pulls the strings, that who's in control there, that there's none like God, our God. There's who is our God, who is our Elohim? It's Havaya. Our nature, our, the force that we, that we believe controls the world, is God. It's not any other force. We don't have a misconception, or at least we're getting to that place as well, that there's two realities. There's God, but then there's what, what makes the world go round. No, what makes the world go round is Hashem. Alright, continue.
3: I will separate on that day the land of Goshen, upon which my people stand that there will be no harmful beats there in order to... Oh, be- sorry, that should be beasts. beasts there, right? I must have been listening to some music.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's some seriously harmful beats there, man.
3: You know Sick. The the
0: right, so again, he says, uh, uh, so there, this was the plague of the wild beasts, or the beasts. <laughs> DJ has gone awry. Um, so what's the point that in Goshen, where the Jews lived, there were no, there were no beasts there? Why? So that you know that I am God in the midst of the earth. What does that mean? It's almost like this, and I think that this this connects the last the, the the previous two readings. It's almost like it's too easy to say, "Oh yeah, Havaya can get involved," but when Havaya gets involved, then everything else breaks. Right? When the when the miraculous gets involved, then there's no discernment; just everything goes. And here he says, no, 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 no. You tell me when you want the frogs gone. In other words, there's still a concept of nature here as well. There's still a concept of time. In other words, the miracle is working through a time. Does this make sense what I'm saying now? The Havaya, the power of, I'm controlling, I'm forcing the hand, God, right? With the plagues or removing the plagues or creating the plagues, is going to also work through a specific time. Havaya and Elohim conversion. Yeah, the plagues, the wild beasts, are going to be differentiated by space. This space, yes. This space, not. In other words, Havaya is again working through Elohim. Does this make sense what I just said? Yeah. If, yeah if, okay, also, I, I think what, it makes what sense.
2: what I find interesting is that God um, could have spoken directly to Pharaoh, but uses Moses as the intermediary because Pharaoh doesn't know the God that Moses is talking
0: Right. To. That's what we're going to get. Yeah, this is, this is the whole point. Pharaoh has no clue what, you, what we're talking about. To Pharaoh, as we said last week, we started the conversation last week, to Pharaoh... God, the ultimate creator, the original creator of everything, has nothing to do with what goes on here on earth. What goes here here on earth is, I'm a god, the Nile's a god, the sun is a god, this is a god. The different things, force of control. God, what does it have to do? Moses says, "Hello." This is this is what's making it up. as the conduit. Absolutely, yeah. Moses is the teacher. But again, the the last point that I mentioned, though, I think is a powerful one, and I think without it, a lot of the nuance gets missed here, is that the purpose is to know that Hawaii is Elohim, therefore the Havaiya, the miracle, is working through time and space, it's working through some natural uh, uh, criteria as well. Okay, continue?
3: This time I'm sending all my plagues into your heart, and into your servants, and into your people, in order that you know that there is none (coughs) of me in this higher earth. For if I now could stretch forth my hand and I had smitten you and your people with pestilence, you would have been annihilated from the earth. But for this reason I have allowed you to stand in order to show you my strength and in order to declare my name
0: all over the earth. He says "Look, at this, I, of course you, I could have just destroyed the, the Egyptians that were brutally uh, enslaving the Jewish people. Want to wipe out the Egyptians? No problem. But then again, there's no education. here. The point is to educate. And education requires teaching, instruction, patience. Alright, continue. God
3: God said to Moses, come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants in order that I may place these signs of mine in his midst and in order that you tell into the ears of your son and your son's son how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and that you tell of my signs that I have placed
1: in them and
0: you will know that I am God. So who should know that I am God? Who's you? The Jewish people. Ah, you see that? So you have a lot of the plagues are for the Egyptians. I, sometimes it says the plays are for the Egyptians and Pharaoh, so the Pharaoh should know, the Egyptians should know. And here it says specifically that why is this, why am I hardening this heart? Then again, the hardening this heart is another, there's more explanations on that, what that means. Um, but the point here is, and it's a separate discussion, the point here is that what's, why is this happening? In order so that you tell your ears of your son and your son's sons, another son's son, they, that all the generations of Jews know that I am God. The, the purpose of the Exodus is, again, to get this education. That's why we have a Seder every year. That's why we celebrate Passover. It's all to know that God is real and God is in control over what happens here on Earth.
2: Why Moses' name is not in the Haggadah.
0: Right. Yeah. Moses' name is not mentioned once in the, in the Haggadah. In the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Haggadah. It's about knowing God. It's not about knowing... Moses is the teacher... But as a student, what are you being educated? Not about Moses, about God. That's the point. Continue.
3: I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will be glorified through Pharaoh and through his entire force and the Egyptians will know that
0: I am God. Okay, this is by after the 10th plague and, and, and Pharaoh says, alright, you can go now. So then God says, it's not going to be so easy. I'm gonna cha- Pharaoh's going to change his mind. I'm going to help him change his mind. And he's going to chase after you. God says, I will cause this to happen. Why? So that the Egyptians know that I am God. But they still didn't get it. Continue.
3: Behold, I, will, I shall harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will come after you, and I will be glorified through Pharaoh, and through all his force, through his chariots, and through his horsemen. The Egyptians shall know that I am God, when I will be glorified through Pharaoh, through his
1: chariots, and through his
3: horsemen. Again,
0: it's all about knowing that, knowing that I am God. knowing Hawaii. Continue. Continue.
3: It came about in the morning watch that God looked down over the Egyptian camp through a pillar of fire and cloud and threw the Egyptian camp into confusion. He removed the wheels of their chariots and he led them with heaviness. And the Egyptians said, let me run away from the Israelites because God is fighting for them against the Egyptians. See what just (coughs) happened
0: there? This is the first time they got it. See that? This is the first time the education worked. At the splitting of the sea, when God causes... God throws the Egyptian camp into confusion. What do they say? Let as collectively as one, they say, "Let me." All the Egyptians said, the same thing. Let me run away from the Israelites because God is fighting for them." In other words, this is God. They suddenly realized that it wasn't nature, it wasn't this, it wasn't a tsunami, it wasn't an earthquake, it wasn't a random coincidences that happened. This is Hashem. This is Hashem that's fighting against me. Let me get out of here. Continue.
3: Israel saw the great hand which, which God had used upon the Egyptians, and the people feared God, and they believed in God and Moses,
0: his servant. Look what happens here. The Jew, so the Egyptians get it, and now finally the Jews get it. All happens in chapter 14 of Exodus 24, 25, and 31. The education is paid off. Now the splitting of the sea is concluded, and the story of Exodus is done. Why this would is,
2: God want us to fear them? Huh? Why would God want us to fear them,
0: What's wrong with fear? Depends how you translate fear. Does fear mean fear? Fear, yeah, fear is Ah, knowledge of something greater than oneself. Fear is a sense of, of, of greater than a distance, as opposed to love, which is closeness. Fear means distance, love is closeness. Anyway, the point is here that um, they got it. They believed in God. And Moses' servant, uh, that's... That Moses was, was not acting on his own accord and whatever, but believed in God and Moses, so i.e. that Moses... Sorry. Yeah, go ahead.
1: But, <laughs> Tiffany, actually, if you fear another person, like if you fear your boss, that's idolatry.
0: Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's what it says. It says in the good books. If you fear... It says, if you... It says, if you get angry... The Talmud says, it's not Kabbalah. The Talmud says, Kol whoever gets angry, ilu oved avodazar, is like they're serving idols. Why? Serving, serving idols. Why? Because what does anger mean? Anger means that you're upset because you feel like that person did something, you're putting control in that person. If you give that person control or that circumstance control, and you pull it away from God, it's idolatry. In a subtle sense. If you fear, also the same thing with fear. If you fear, like, oh no, it's, it's not uh, sufficiently connecting with the source. hundred percent. Absolutely. And again, all of this, the entire story, I hope it was, was, this was clear. From the beginning, and throughout the journey, until the conclusion, all of it was about one objective, that the Egyptians should know Hashem, Havaya, and that the Jewish people should know Havaya. In the last two texts that we read, the Egyptians finally... Even when Pharaoh let the Jewish people go, he didn't say, Now I know Hashem. You know the only time beforehand in the story of the Exodus he says Hashem? He says, I know that Hashem is more righteous than I. That's the one thing that he says. I didn't quote it because it's not, it's not the point. He doesn't say I believe in Hashem. He says, I know that Hashem who atzadik vanirosh, I know that God is just and righteous and I am the wicked one. That's what he says. During one of the plagues, <coughs> so please take away the plague, and then he says, "Oh, whoops! I changed my mind." And not a, at, at, at no point did he acknowledge <coughs> Havaya. He acknowledged that he is wicked. Doesn't acknowledge directly Havaya. The, la- the only time the Egyptians acknowledge Havaya is at the conclusion, by us putting in the sea. <coughs> that's the only time, and that's the first time the Jews as well acknowledge Hashem, acknowledge Havaya. Yeah.
2: No, what strikes me is that um, why do the Jews have to have, throughout history, have to be driven to their knees so many times in order for there to be, and maybe this is just, this seems like just a repetition of contemporary history and ancient history, that we're such slow learners? <laughs> you know, it's like we have to be reduced to exceptions, completely, yeah, in order for there a to connect a people.
0: Okay. Look, that, that's a, that's another question. No, it's a, that's a valid question, but it's another. That's another. That's a, it's another elaborate conversation. Let's let's hold off on that right now. Because
2: I guess my question is, why did we have to spend two hundred and ten years in slavery?
0: I, I'm with you. Have, I'm with, did
2: with you. Ten years into slavery.
0: I, no, I I understand your question. I'm saying, look, it's a good question. It's a good question. But, There's different ways to answer the question. There's, you know, it says that Egypt was the Kor Habarzal. It says it was the, I don't know how you translate it, was the, how you purify metal, mm-hmm. the ore or something. Right. You burn it down, you smelting, smelting, bomb, no, that's smelting, bomb. what? Uh, uh, smelting, it, it was, it forged us as a nation. You know, the pressure, the, the slavery forged us, created a strength that uh, that we're still living off of, that determination, stiff-neckedness, that, in a good way. Um, there's also, look, there's diff- different ways to, to, to analyze it. At the end of the day, huh?
2: Well,
0: at the end of the day, what we know are two things. Number one, that that's what God wanted, for whatever reason. To give a good reason why the Jewish people should suffer, that's not a that's 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 not what we want to do. To give a good reason why suffering was allowed to happen, I don't think we want to do that. To justify suffering, I don't want to do that. But what we do know is that that's that's what God wanted. Number one. Number two is.
1: Is there an explanation for that? Though? You may not want
0: to do it, but is there an explanation? There are things that are written about it. Like I said, it made us stronger. So you don't like the answer? Good, so don't stick, don't... I don't like the answer either. Huh? I don't like the answer either. Why? In other words, Dell's question at the beginning stands in a sense. It's like, why can't God educate us without any pain and suffering? It's a good question. I don't know. So the easy answer is because we wouldn't learn if you, if you don't have the question, you don't have an answer. It's a, it's a good answer. But why can't God create it that you would learn without the, with, without a question? Why can't God create it that you do grow without difficult, without challenge? Why can't God, God who creates everything, why can't He create a system where there's exponential growth without challenge? Because the answer is, well, there can't be challenge without... a good question. Just the way God uh got 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 set nature. Anyway, what's the point? Right? It's nature. It's the nature of things. The nature of things is you don't grow unless there's challenge. Good, that's the nature. Why is it the nature? That's the way God wanted it. Anyway, look I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you I'll tell you this we're right at the time. That's number one. Number two is what I wanted to bring out from all of this is a very simple point. The Egyptians come in to the picture. Pharaoh comes onto the scene. Even the Jews arrive at the scene. At the beginning of the Exodus, after the 210 years of slavery, the word in the ground is, the Egyptians are our masters. The Egyptians say Pharaoh is our master. Pharaoh says, I am your master. The, The Egyptians say the Nile is our master. There's a lot of gods. That's at the beginning of the story. At the beginning of the story is there's a lot of gods. There's a lot of gods. There are a lot of forces. A lot of things to serve. A lot of things to respect. A lot of things to behold as uh, as as deities and, and to worship. That's how the story begins. At the end, everyone says we know God. That's how the story. That's this is the difference between the beginning of the story and the end of the story. The beginning of the story is there are multiple gods. Nature is a god. Pharaohs a god. The taskmasters a god. The whip is a god. The bricks are a god. Food is a God. Everything is a God. At the end of the story, Hashem is the God. That's the point of the Exodus. That's one point. That's the point from the beginning, God says, this is what it's for. During, God says, this is why I'm doing it. And at the end, the Jewish people and the Egyptians acknowledge that this is what we learned. That's the point. And again, it's important also to know the terms Havaya and Elohim. Clearly what that means. Havaya is God. Elohim is also God, but it's only God once you know that it's God. Because Elohim otherwise is nature, and the other gods with a lower case G that we think are in control. Elohim refers to that which we think is in control. The point of the Exodus is to know that what is really in control, Hashem. Hashem is Elohim. All of the other forces that you see in the world, they don't really exist. It's really only Hashem. It's really only Hashem. That's the only reality. Is that why at the end of Nilo we say... Hashem Hu elokim, seven times, 100%. Because if there's one thing that we need to know, it's this point. And, and, what, and the Shema also, the most seminal teachings, the right, the most seminal verses of Torah express the same point. The most seminal, seminal moment in Jewish history, the Exodus, expresses the same point. The most fundamental contribution of Judaism is the same point. Hashem who We say it seven times at the conclusion. First, we say Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael says the same thing. Hashem Elokeinu. What does that mean? Shema Yisrael, That's what we say. What does it mean? Hashem Elokeinu. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. I, I took out the Lord here in the translation because what's Lord and God? It's the same thing. I didn't want to differentiate. That's why I translated both as God. I specifically changed the translation in this handout. I, I, with parentheses, one of I and one It's the same thing. Shema Yisrael. What does Shema mean? Not only listen, get it. Hear, listen. Shema means more than just, you know, you might want to listen. Shema means, Havana Vasakh. It means understand, get this point. This is the point. Why do you think we put it on the scrolls and our doorposts? Why do you think we wear it on our arms every single day? Because it's the most important statement of Judaism, and it cap, it, encapsulates, it captures the entire point of Judaism. From this, everything else flows. There's only one. There's only one force. This is monotheism. This is Abraham. This is Shema. This is Yom Kippur. This is Pesach. This is everything. There's only one point. The one point is, there's Hashem. Hashem is in control. There's nothing else. Shema Yisrael, hero Israel. Hashem Elokenu, the Lord is our God. God is our God. Hash Elokeinu, our power, what do we pray to? What do we look to? Do we look to Wall Street? Do we look to our bosses? Do we look to the ground? Do we look to droughts? Do we look to this? Do we look to, you know, Greece? What do we look to? The, the Euro, what do we look to? Hashem, Hashem is Elokeinu. Other nations have their own Elokeinus. Pharaoh had his Elokenu. He said, I am Elokenu. I am your God. The, the Nile is Elokeinu. Right? The stars are Elokeinu. Everything else is Elokeinu. We say Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem is our Elokeinu. Hashem and Elokeinu are the same. Hashem Echa God is one. There's only one. There's nothing else. Nothing else exists. Yet. So in
3: this last thing, why does it say Elokeinu?
0: No. Where? Where? where, where, where? Why is Joseph... Oh, I didn't get there. I didn't get... That's Genesis. It's a book back. Oh, we can't get there today. We're going to get there next week. Not going to get there next week either because it's Thanksgiving. Okay. Two weeks. No, no, no. Pharaoh's deity. Pharaoh's deity, the next reading, that's going to be where Pharaoh begins. That's the beginning of the story. When Joseph first arrives on the scene in Egypt, what Pharaoh knows is Elohim. He knows power. So Joseph says, oh, you want a dream? Trans- a, dream a dream is a God because dreams. dreams can move things. Mises. The end of the story is he knows Hashem. Hashem is in control. This is the point. Again, this is I asked the question at the beginning. What is the most fundamental contribution of Judaism? And when I ask the question, I don't necessarily mean contribution to the world or to whoever. But what is the most... What is Judaism? What is the foundation of... Ju- what, is, what does Judaism say? Judaism says Hashem is Elokim, And what that means specifically is there's nothing else other than Hashem. There's only... Hashem is. There's nothing else. There's no other power. Nothing else exists, truly. Everything else that exists only exists because God is making it exist. God constitutes. God is working through it. God, it works through nature. Not works through... God is nature. God sets nature. But it's still God. It's not nature. It's not Mother Nature. Who is Mother Nature? Mother Nature is God. It's a pseudonym. We... Compartmentalize. We dichotomize. We say no, no, no. Wait, wait, no. Look at me. Do it. Oh, religion is there. Science is here. Science is here. Religion is there. I believe in science. I don't know if I believe in religion. Science can explain it. I don't need God. What? What is this? This is not Jewish. Judaism says science is God. Not science is God. God is science. It kind of works one way and the other way. It sounds a little weird. It sounds a little uh, right. God is everything. God is science. God is nature. If it's true, if it's tama baba Maisa if it's something that's not true, so then it's not true. It's just a theory. It's not true. But if it's true, if it's true that you can create um, through this chemical reaction, you can create uh, plastic. It's true. Why does it? Why does that happen? Because that's how God sets the world. There's no difference. Good. I hope this was clear. I hope this made sense. <laughs> Look, you know what? To really get it, we might need another ten plagues. Well, kidding! Oh, God. I was joking. I was joking. Wait! I, I feel I feel terrible. I was kidding. That's serious. When I say we need ten plagues, we need to read about the ten plagues. again here. Yeah. Tough crowd, the huh? In
2: the contemporary. World. Oh, are you kidding me?
0: Oh, the whole world is a, You have to understand. You have we, the, Look, what I'm saying is this is the most important point, and we still struggle with this on a daily basis. How many times are we fearful of things, right? Like Amy said, how many times are we fearful of things, natural things, like, oh, what's going to be? What's going to be? God's in control. What's going to be? You, you got to have faith that things are going to, uh, things are the way they, they need to be. So, look, a lot of things. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> Give out. No. Cause Thanksgiving, I'm out of town. I'll be in New York. I'll be in New York. There's the annual conference of uh, Chabad rabbis. There's 4,000 rabbis in a room. There should be some joke.
2: Say it again? Are you going to
0: Yes. Oh, yes. Hold on, hold on. So this is important. I will be visiting the Ohel. I will be visiting the, Rebbe, the Rebbe's grave. If anybody, if the custom is when one visits the grave of a tzaddik to pray that the tzaddik intercede in heaven on behalf of the individual. This is the power of a tzaddik. Like uh, we said, Vaiminu Bashem of Moshe Avdo believed in God and Moses' servant. A true tzaddik has a power to intercede on in our behalf. So if anybody wants um, to request a blessing, uh, to be delivered at the grave of the uh, of the rabbi at, at the Santa's grave to intercede on the individual's behalf, I um, I will be going to the Ohel in New York. I'm leaving. Thir- what am I leaving Thursday morning? So if you get it to me anytime before Thursday, you can Tuesday night. There's a class. Wednesday night. There's a class. Um, you can drop. Try- Right now is fine. We have paper if anybody needs wants paper to write it down, there's paper in the office. Um, but it's a powerful it's a it's a tremendously powerful uh, experience. So I will be going and uh, gladly taking any, any letters. So
1: the Thursday class will be the following.
0: Correct. Thursday class.